0: listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. My name is Adam McKeldry. I get the honor of serving on our staff here as one of the pastors, and I have the privilege today to wrap up our first series of the calendar year, Not a Fan. I'd like to say that uh, we had the foresight and intelligence to plan this series about talking, that we've been talking about, Are We a Fan or a Follower?, on the very day that we have the largest sporting event in America happening, the Super Bowl. But we didn't, it was just dumb luck. Um, You know, today millions of Americans and millions of people across the world are going to be watching two teams play a game. Some of the people that are watching that game are avid fans of those two teams and they are very invested in what happens. Some people are just, you know, fans of football, and they like to just watch the game. Some people are just fans of the commercials and hope they don't suck this year. But most of us are just casual fans of the game. Of the millions of people that watch this game, when the final whistle blows and the game is over, they don't really care about how it ended, right? The next time they watch a game is probably going to be this time again next year. And, they're, not, and <clears throat> they've just been, they're just glad that they had this amazing time with their family and friends and had some good food to eat. They're just wanting to be entertained. And unfortunately, sometimes Christians take that same approach to Jesus. Sometimes the way that we approach our relationship with Jesus is not any different than the millions of people that are going to watch this afternoon we're just casual fans, which is why we've been wrestling through this question for the last six weeks: Are you a fan or are you a follower of Jesus? And I don't know about you guys, but it has been quite a wrestling match for me personally. Each and every week, I've been uh, challenged in a new way to determine like where am I with God? Where is my relationship with Jesus? You know, if you haven't been with us along the journey the whole time, I'm just gonna let me just briefly give you the core ideas of what we've talked about so far. And I would encourage you, I highly encourage you to take some time, take your own time, go to the website, watch the, the sermons or listen to them. You will not regret this. But where we've been so far, what we've seen is that Jesus extends this invitation, an open invitation to anyone and everyone to enter into an intimate relationship with him, the kind of relationship that you cannot necessarily experience anywhere else. It is going to be the greatest relationship that you have ever seen. And he does not invite us into this blindly. We talked about how Jesus puts all of his cards out on the table when he extends that invitation. You don't have to wonder what he is about. You don't have to wonder what Jesus is like. The things that he is for. He puts that all on the table for us. We know exactly what we can expect from being in a relationship with him. But just like every other relationship that we are in in our lives, there are expectations on us as well. Who we should be, What our conduct should look like? Expectations of sacrifice and obedience. But those expectations are not there to limit us in this relationship, but to give us a fuller experience of what it's like. To give a a healthy, loving relationship between us and God. And now knowing all of this, all the stuff that we've been talking about for the last several weeks, knowing everything we know, that Jesus is inviting us into something really special. And he's not hiding from us anything about what that relationship looks like. He's not hiding what his expectations are for himself or for us. And we know that. And yet still some of us struggle on whether or not we want to be a fan or a follower of Jesus. Like the millions of casual football fans today, we choose to be okay with a relationship with Jesus that is just a mere shadow of what it could be. And why is that? Why do we hold ourselves back from this relationship that we're invited into? Why do we just keep ourselves from just going all in? Well, I think that the reasons are varied, as varied as the people that are in here. But what I want us to do today, what I want to take the rest of our time together to do, is I want to dive further into this. I want to explore what, What may be an underlying root of why it is that we choose to to stay fans instead of become followers of Jesus? And so, what I'm going to do is, I want to take us first to an encounter that a young man has with Jesus. It was during Jesus' ministry on earth, towards the end of it. So, if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, come with me over to Mark chapter 10. This is verse starting in verse 17. Here's what God's word says. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus said. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have a treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. This guy is not so different from you or I. I mean, sure, he has great wealth and not many of us can say that in this room. But here is a guy who seems to have it all together. He's doing all the right things. He's obeying all of the commands. It doesn't seem like he's wanting for anything. But even in the midst of all that, he still recognizes that there's something missing from his life. Something is not right. And so he goes to this rabbi that he has been seeing around the area teaching, talking, and asks him, what am I missing? Where am I missing the mark? What what must I do to get new life? And Jesus' response is the same response that he gives to us. He looks at us. He looked at him and loved him as he loves us and he opened the invitation you're only lacking one thing a relationship with me come follow me but before you can you have to leave behind your old life to get the new life And when this young man heard this, it was difficult. When he heard what he had to give up, what he had to leave behind in order to follow Jesus, in order to have a relationship with him, and he was faced with that decision, is what Jesus is offering me good enough? And really, in asking that, he's asking if Jesus is enough. Is Jesus enough for us to choose to be followers and not just fans? And this is a question I, I know that many of us have asked at one time or another in our lives. Maybe not exactly worded like this. Maybe it was something else, but we've all wrestled with that. Maybe as you've been trying to decide if you want to be a follower of Jesus and not just a fan, you're asking yourself, what will I miss out on? Will my life actually be better? What will people think of me? What if we have it all wrong? What if he asks me to do something difficult? Is following Jesus really worth it? Or my personal favorite, am I enough? This is the question I ask myself in those moments when I finally recognize and realize that I have, either gone off the path or I've decided to just sit down on it and be okay with not growing and continuing down the path of God. Am I enough? Can I do what God is asking me to do? You know, regardless of whether or not the question you wrestle with when you are trying to decide if you want to be a follower of Jesus or just a fan is one of these or one that you know intimately or maybe not even at all all of these questions have the same root a root that traces its origins all the way back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden with first man and the first woman with Adam and Eve where they had this perfect relationship with God. There was nothing standing in the way between them. Sin had not entered the world. They were experiencing relationship with God and with creation as it was intended to be, at its fullest potential. And then our enemy, Satan, walked on the scene and sowed some seeds of doubt. And he said, did God really give you everything that you need? Do you think that God might be holding out on you? Sowing these little seeds of doubt that took root in Adam and Eve's heart and mind. I know you think God has given you everything that you could ever want But there's that one thing over there that you can't touch. See that? Why do you think that is that he's holding out on you? Maybe he doesn't love you like he says he does. Isn't it a cruel joke that you don't get to have what you want right now? God is limiting you. He actually doesn't want the best for you. And lies like these have been coursing through the hearts and minds of humanity ever since to this very day. Wondering if God really is holding out on us. Wondering if being in a relationship with God, being in relationship with Jesus, is worth it. If it limits us. And according to the perspective of this world, it does. But that perspective is built on all of these lies that have been going on for millennia. Because the truth is that God is not holding out on you. God is not holding out on you. What's really happening is we are holding out on him. We are choosing to limit ourselves in this relationship with God. We are the ones not laying all of our cards out on the table. We are choosing to hold back. We are choosing to limit. But then we'll point the finger and say, it's God who's doing it. God is not the one holding out on you. You know, if you continue to read through Mark chapter 10, where we started about the rich young man, after he walks away sad, Jesus turns around and begins a discussion with his disciples that addresses this, big, this very thing. He turns around and looks at his guys and says, hey, it is not going to be easy to enter the kingdom of heaven. Especially for those who have much to leave behind. And his disciples are amazed. They're like, how in the world can this be? Who can be saved then? If it is this hard, who can be saved? And he continues, no one. None of you. You cannot be doing this on your own. With man, it's impossible. But not with God. With, all thi- uh, with God, all things are possible. And he keeps on going. He says, in fact, if you choose to follow me, if you choose to leave your old life behind for me, for the gospel that he came to preach, he's going to bless you he will bless you with a hundred times more than what you left behind. Now hear me out. This is not Jesus saying that if you follow him, then you are gonna get health, wealth, and prosperity. Like that only, you can only come up with that determination if you stopped reading. Because if you keep reading and you look at what he actually says one of the things that's included with that the 100 times business, persecutions. Persecutions. God's not holding out from you. He has much to give to you. But following God is not easy. It never was meant to be. we will experience things along the way that we would rather not but in the midst of all of that all of that stuff that goes on god will bless us if we choose to follow him and this is not a new thing for god this is who he is it's who he has been from the beginning of time there's a story of this guy named elisha in the old testament whose story actually reflects the story of the rich man pretty well. Except for one thing. Elisha's response is vastly different than that of the young man. If you don't know, the story of Elisha begins in the 19th chapter of 1 Kings, is where he comes onto the scene. And we see him out in a field with his oxen plowing the field, He's plowing with a pair of the dozen oxen his family has. This guy has a lot. He comes with a family. If you have a dozen oxen, that means that you probably got some coin in the bank. And as he's plowing, this prophet named Elijah walks by. And on the prompting of God, Elijah goes to Elisha and he throws his cloak over Elijah's shoulders and then walks away. Now for us, that doesn't really mean a lot. Why in the world would he throw his cloak on there? But for Elisha, it did. For Elisha, this meant that this man of God was calling him to be a follower. This prophet of God was telling Elisha that he was to be the one to succeed him. Come follow me, Elijah was saying, and I will show you what it means to be the mouthpiece of the Lord. And Elijah runs up to Elijah, and he's like, I'm coming with you, but let me go back and say goodbye to my mom and dad. Elijah's like, whatever, you do what you want. So Elisha goes back, he doesn't just kiss his mom and dad goodbye Now he grabs those two oxen that he was using to plow the field and he kills them and then he takes his plow breaks it up, starts a fire and roasts the meat of those oxen that he killed and then he takes that meat and he distributes to all the people to the poor and he walks away from his old life and follows Elijah and embarked on a life that was not going to be easy because the life of a prophet was not an easy one. And Elisha would have experienced that day after day as he followed Elijah and saw what it looked like to be a prophet of God. At the end of Elisha's time with Elijah, right before God takes Elijah up into heaven on chariots of fire, Elisha continued to be present. Elijah kept trying to leave him behind, like, hey, I'm going over here, you stay here. He's like, no, I'm, I'm with you, I'm, sh- I'm going wherever you're going. And he continued to decide to show up, to engage in the call that was put on his life. And after he continued to show up every day, every place, Elijah finally was like, okay, what is it that I can give you before I leave? Before the Lord takes me. And Elisha said, Please bless me with a double inheritance of what God has given you. And Elijah's like, You're asking for a lot. Not only are you going to have double the blessings, but you're going to have double the trouble. But God grants Elisha's request. And he lives a life that had double the blessing of Elijah because he decided to show up. And I see two big differences between Elisha's story and this young man's story. First off is that. He showed up. No matter what was going on, Elisha chose to show up, but the young man decided to walk away when he was asked to follow, And the second thing is that when he showed up, he decided to not believe that lie that God was not enough. That God was holding out on him. He knew that God had something in store for him. He knew that God had something planned for him as he followed him. And he engaged into that. Not the rich young man. He looked at that heard what Jesus asked of him and said that's not enough this is what I believe we need to do as well for us to make that transition from being followers or uh, fans of Jesus to becoming fan, uh, followers of Jesus I can speak I promise we have to be like Elijah is Or was. We have to confront the lies that have been being told to us from the very beginning. We have to wrestle with those. We have to wrestle with God with those. We have to find out what His truth is. Because we can't do it alone. It's like Jesus said, we can't do it, it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And He wants you to wrestle with him, not on your own with those hard questions that you have. And invite those that he has put in your life around you, fellow followers of Jesus, to fight through that stuff with you. And the second thing that we need to do is just show up. Show up. Engage in your relationship with Jesus. You know, one of the things that has been hard through this whole series is delineating the the difference between what a fan and a follower is, right? Like, it's not like, I go to bed, a fan, and I make the decision, oh, I'm going to be a follower tomorrow, and then poof, I'm ready to go and totally 100% committed follower of Jesus the next morning. No, this is a process. This is a journey that we are asked to join. We are asked to be letting God to transform us, to make us into an image that is more like his son, Jesus. And that takes time. It is okay for you to be where you are in your relationship with him. That's okay. It's not okay to stay there. It's not okay to stay there. When we make that decision to follow Jesus, to accept the invitation into relationship with him, we have got to make steps forward. We have got to show up and engage. We have got to battle the lies that have been told to us for our entire lives about who we are, what we're missing out on, is Jesus enough? Whatever the lies are that you are battling and wrestling with, we have to show up and engage. In the coming weeks That is something that we are really going to be asking all of you to do As followers of Jesus As a church To show up and wrestle with God I mean really that's something that we need to do every day But in the next few weeks We are are heading into a sermon series That starts next week And it's called Grace and Truth, Faith, Gender, Sexuality. And we are going to be doing the best that we can to look at what God says with regards to our faith and what that means for our sexuality, our gender, and topics like that. I imagine some of you may already be getting ready to be offended by what we might or might not say. And that's okay. Truly, it's okay. All we're asking, the elders of this church have been praying for it, Josh and I have been praying for it, that you guys lean into this tension with us. Because it's going to be tense because we've been being told lies for millennia and we have to wrestle through those together. We have to see what it looks like to follow God and experience his grace and truth in our own lives and what that looks like to love one another in grace and truth as well. We're just trying the best that we can to show up each day and choose to follow Jesus the best that we can. I'm going to ask the same for you guys. Now's the time we are going to move towards our opportunity to worship with communion today as a family. If you're new with us, um, we have what we like to call around here an open table. And all that means is that you don't have to be a regular tender at real life. You don't have to be a semi-regular tender or a partner. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that if you want to celebrate with us today, like if you have accepted that invitation to to get into a relationship with Jesus, to follow Him as your Lord and Savior to the best of your ability, man, we would love to have you celebrate with us today. It would be an honor. Now as you guys are getting that stuff ready and you are, I hope, beginning to wrestle with God about what it looks like for you to show up and wrestle the lies that you have been allowing to to affect your relationship with him, I want to read for you from Paul. I want to read from his what many believe to be his last letter that he wrote to the churches. Most scholars believe he wrote it from the prison in Rome not too long before he was executed, so late in his ministry. But here's what Paul has to say to the church, a guy who has wrestled with a lot of things in his life, a lot of lies, a lot of struggles, but showed up each and every day. This is in Philippians chapter three. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him Somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul experienced when he chose to follow Jesus. Not an easy road, but worth every minute. And every week when we do communion, we get reminded of this invitation to be in relationship with him. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his, his guys. And he said, this is my body, which is going to be broken for you. Take it in remembrance of me. Let us remember that he has never held out on us. And after the meal, he took the cup and said, this is the cup in the new covenant, which is in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember that he will never hold out on us. Lord God, I want to thank you first for the fact that you have looked at each and every one of us and loved us. And in that love, Lord, that you have seen the one thing that we have always lacked, you. And you've invited us to come in to relationship with you and to experience that. And so, Lord, I pray today that whatever has been holding us back, whatever has been holding your people back here from from committing their lives to you fully, Lord, to not be casual fans of who you are, Lord, but that we want to intimately experience you. Lord, give us the boldness to just show up each and every day and just ask you, what do you have for me today, Lord? How can I be used by you today? Because, Lord, we know that you are glorified and honored in that. And so, Lord, we ask that as we struggle to make room for you in our lives. Lord, that you be patient with us as we learn. But that is what we want to do, Lord. Make room for you in every corner of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.